Hey everybody, welcome back to Preview Review. I'm Ryan Toon, and as always, I'm joined with my fabulous co-host, Tyler. That's me. Hello. His last name's Ellison, in case you wanted to follow him on Twitter. Ooh. Yeah. So yeah, this is Preview Review. If you've heard our first episode, you know what this is about, but if not, we'll just give a little quick recap. We talk about movie trailers. As two men that go to movies a lot, we see a lot of movie trailers. Isn't that right, Tyler? That's right, Ryan. So we thought, let's just talk about trailers on a podcast. Because that's the perfect place to talk about anything, is the internet. So this is our second episode, and as of recording this, we have 46 listens on our first episode. So our only goal for this episode is to get a 47th listen. And if you're listener number 47 on our podcast, thank you. Yes. And well done. You make me very happy. But yes, we received a lot of feedback on our first episode. A lot of people really liked our theme song. So we just wanted to shout out the person who actually made that theme song. You know, credit where credit is due. Exactly, yeah. Friend of the show, Matt Lockshaw. And by friend of the show, I just mean he's our actual friend. Well, he is also (laughs) a friend of the show. He's our first official friend of the show. Yay, Matt. (laughs) Uh, He has some awesome talent in music production, um, and so we just want to give him a quick shout-out. Matt, thanks so much for your hard work on our our theme song. Uh, He's got a song coming out at the end of this month, um, which is June, in case you're listening to this in the future. Um, And you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Matt Lockshaw if you want to hear more of the awesome stuff that he does in the music industry, because I think he's got a lot of cool stuff ahead of him. Yeah, and we'll put the link to his Instagram in the bio. So, the way this podcast usually works is we'll each talk about two different trailers. So, Tyler, what two trailers are you talking about this week? Well, today we're going to talk about the 2019 release, Child's Play, which, of course, is a remake of the 1988 original movie. And then we're going to talk about some movie that's just called Anna. We also have to call this movie Anna 2019, because when Googling Anna, there are other <laughs> movies called Anna. Maybe because it's one of the most generic movie titles and also generic movie trailers ever created. But those are the two movies that we're talking about. And I'm talking about two movies that I'm excited for. Spider-Man Far From Home, 2019. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, also 2019. <laughs> These movies look really fun. They are the are these Spider-Man. You've seen a lot of Spider-Man movies before. This one looks different and it looks a little fun. And I love Spider-Man. I also love Quentin Tarantino, who directed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So that's going to be exciting to talk about that. But before we get into what we have in store for today's episode, we wanted to do a quick uh, reflection on some of the things that we've already discussed. And that is that last episode we talked about two movies in particular, Dark Phoenix and The Dead Don't Die, which Ryan has actually already had the most amazing privilege to see. I have not seen either of these movies yet, but of course we've talked about them after he viewed them. And I would just love for him to share his thoughts as we start today's episode on how did you think these movies did? And how do you think the trailers did in showcasing what you thought about these movies? All right, here we go. Let's talk about The Dead Don't Die, a trailer that both of us really liked. We thought it was funny. We thought the cast looked amazing. I'm sorry to report that I did not find this movie enjoyable. The comedy didn't land for me. A lot of it was callbacks to jokes that I didn't laugh at the first time. And a lot of the cast is not in the movie for very long. Carol Kane is basically only in the movie for the scene that you see her in in the trailer. And something that worked about the trailer was the fast editing and the quick timing. 
which was not happening in the movie. The movie was very slow, and I feel like timing is so important in the comedy. I'm sad to report The Dead Don't Die is a pass for me. Another movie I saw was Dark Phoenix. I was not excited to see Dark Phoenix, but of course I saw it because I see every movie that comes out in theaters. This movie is one of the worst X-Men movies I've ever seen, but saying that, I did find some enjoyment in it because I find enjoyment in every X-Men film, but I would also say, if you're not a hardcore X-Men fan, this is also a pass. Michael Fassbender was very wasted. He should have been in the movie more. He was a great actor. The trailer, we predicted it right. Sorry, spoilers, actually 100% spoilers. Mystique dies, and she her death was supposed to feel like something that had weight and something maybe that wanted me to cry at. But I, I knew it was coming, and I felt nothing. Sorry, Dark Phoenix. Fat rip. Or thank you, Dark Phoenix, for letting me know that my co-host is a diagnosable sociopath. <laughs> so, Tyler... We're talking about four movies today. Anna, 2019, Child's Play, 2019, Spider-Man Far From Home, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I just wanted to ask you, what do you think the best horror movie is in honor of Child's Play? What do you think the best MCU movie is in honor of Spider-Man Far From Home? And what do you think Quentin Tarantino's best film is in honor of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Ooh, a great opening question, Ryan. If I'm breaking down the best horror movie ever... That's that a, was the question. That's a really wide range to choose from. And so... To our listeners who don't know, Tyler is a huge horror fan, and he's been getting me into horror recently, but I'm definitely not as big of a horror fan as he is. If I'm thinking about the best horror movie versus, like, maybe my favorite horror movie or just horror movies I really like, it's hard because the older ones, to me, always seem to stand out because they're the ones that have stood the test of time, and those are the ones that I'm going to turn to when I think about the best... But also, there have been some really awesome recent horror movies, including both Jordan Peele's Get Out and Us, Ari Aster's Hereditary, but I think that I'm going to go with an older option, and I'm going to say the original Halloween from director John Carpenter. So this also recently re- received, like, sort of a reboot, but also direct sequel um, in theaters. In the industry, we call those rebootquels. Oh, a rebootquel. That original movie with Jamie Lee Curtis is just one of the most impactful and outstanding horror movies, and especially in the, like, slasher genre of horror movies, ever created. And so that's my choice for best horror movie of all time. I think that's a great film. I recently saw it for the first time with you. We saw it, actually, we had the chance to see it on the big screen, which was really exciting and really fun. And I agree that it's one of the greatest horror films that I've seen. And I think having been able to go recently back and watch that movie in theaters just kind of cemented it in horror movie history in my opinion it's really cool i agree that there are some great modern horror films hereditary as you mentioned is really good and i also really like the witch or the the witch however you would like to pronounce the (coughs) title it's supposed to be a w but it definitely has two v's in the title sorry we're not talking about the witch today we're talking about the best horror movie which in my opinion is stanley kubrick's the shining i think this movie is very good at building tension and keeping you on edge, keeping you questioning what's real, what's not. Is Jack going crazy? Yes. Is Are there really ghosts? Maybe. I'm 100% not sure, but I think yes, but who knows? Are you not 100% sure, or are you 100% not sure? I don't know the difference. <laughs> but I recently rewatched this movie at Halloween, and... 
honestly, I think it's the scariest movie I've ever seen. Even though it is a slow burn, it keeps you intrigued the whole time. And even though I know what's coming next, I'm still frightened by this film. Yeah, The Shining is really, really an excellent film. And I think the only thing for The Shining to me is has a little bit of a potential to come off a little bit too nuanced or too uh, avant-garde. Um, and just you kind of have to watch it in the perfect setting to really invest and appreciate the horror and the suspense and the tension that's building up. It's one of those movies where if you watch it with the lights on and just kind of casually viewing it, it's not going to do a great job with its impact as it would if you're viewing it under the right circumstances. That's true. If you're just casually watching this film, like scrolling through your phone on the couch... It would come off as boring, I think. Yes, but if you're really invested into the film, which I think you should be invested in every film you're watching, give the film the respect it deserves. Someone made this, spent a lot of time and money to make this art project for you. I feel like it can really affect you. Now, if we're going to discuss the best MCU movie, first we need to clarify that we want to talk about the best film created for the MCU or the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Not the movie that does the best job at being a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. So, for example, I think for both Ryan and myself, this takes Infinity War and Endgame almost completely off the table. It definitely takes Endgame out for me. Just because that movie's biggest impact is the way that it reflects upon and finishes off this saga of cinematic storytelling. And we're discussing kind of just looking at the film in and of itself... Which one is do we think is the best? Yes, and don't get us wrong. By saying those films are eliminated for the running, we're not saying those aren't good films and we don't like those films. We're saying the opposite. They are very good films and we like them a lot, but we like them a lot because of what came before and because what built to those films. And other films within the Marvel Cinematic Universe might even not do as good of a job fitting into the MCU lore as a whole, but do great things with the film as they are. An example of that would be Iron Man 3. It's a great film. I know it's controversial to say that. A lot of people do not like what Shane Black did with that movie, but I personally really liked it. But the consequences it has on the greater MCU are almost none. So Tyler, what is your favorite MCU? No, sorry. What is the best film in the MCU? It's very careful wording here. So with that said, I think that the best film in the MCU for me is Captain America The Winter Soldier. I think this movie has outstanding performances, action sequences, themes, and narratives that are reflected upon very eloquently, and this movie just has it all in my opinion. I came very close to choosing this movie. I really enjoy The Winter Soldier. I like how the Russo brothers direct the action and how they take Captain America, the man out of time, the man who's always loyal to his country, and flip that on his head. How is the thing that he's loyal to is now the thing that he's fighting against. But one movie edged it out just barely for me. And for me, I believe the best film in the MCU is Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one. I think it does such a great job of bringing this band of misfits together and putting us on an adventure where we care about all of them. And it has great humor and heart and action. has everything you could ask for from a Marvel movie in this one film. Yeah, and I think one especially impactful... Uh, piece of Guardians of the Galaxy that stands out is the music and that's in the first Guardians of the Galaxy as well as volume two but think back to when Guardians of the Galaxy the first one came out everybody was listening to uh, awesome mixtape <laughs> like for it's... such a long time you couldn't go anywhere without healing 
Uga Shaka of Donna Feeling and uh, all those songs that are on that mixtape because James Gunn did such a good job at creating a universe in which like that music was out of place but also fit the story. Exactly. melded seamlessly with those characters. So now, Tyler, I think we both have the same favorite or what we believe is the best film from director Quentin Tarantino. And I think that movie is Inglorious Bastards. 100% Inglorious Bastards. I don't think you get more Tarantino or better Tarantino than you get in this film. I think he's a little toned down in this film, which works towards his strengths. He's not balls-to-the-wall Tarantino with the, like absurdist writing that he has in Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction. It's more refined into the story that he wants to tell of this Nazi hunting crew. Yeah, and when I say you don't get more Tarantino than this, it doesn't mean that other films of his don't maybe encapsulate his style a little bit more, but I just think you can tell the time and emotion that was invested into creating this project because Inglourious Bastards was supposed to be his follow-up to Pulp Fiction, but he spent so long refining the script, trying to cast Hans Landa perfectly, which Christoph Waltz does an amazing so job portraying. And he just wanted to get everything about this story exactly the way he wanted it, and I think it really pays off in the final product. That's a cool fact. I didn't know that about how long in development it was. Now, something that really cements it in my mind is, at the end of the film, Eli Roth's character says to Brad Pitt, I think this might be your masterpiece. And that's Eli Roth is me talking to Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I think this might be your masterpiece. Yeah, and all of Tarantino's other movies, or at least most of them for me, are almost as good. I love Reservoir Dogs. I love Pulp Fiction. Django Unchained is so fun. But Inglourious Bastards just kind of reaches that next level for me because I think it just has so much of Tarantino's creative vision behind it, and it just makes it stand apart. So, with our opening question out of the way, Tyler, you want to bring us into our first movie trailer of the week? Yep. So, our first movie trailer of the week, we're talking about Child's Play. And uh, this movie comes out on June 21st. It's directed by Lars Kloveberg, who's a Norwegian director, and this will be his uh, U.S. debut film. Oh, so So you're talking about Child's Play 2019, right? Yes, we're talking about the 2019 one. So, for those of you that don't know, Child's Play was originally released in 1988. Uh, This is the movie that introduces to us Chucky, the killer doll, in case not familiar Chucky obviously is named in Child's Play but the first three movies in the franchise are Child's Play Child's Play 2 and Child's Play 3 and the name Chucky doesn't really get attributed to the franchise until the fourth installment and onward and in Ready Player One we're talking about (laughs) the Chucky franchise here and this cast includes some really awesome names Aubrey Plaza Brian Tyree Henry Mark Hamill's doing the voice of Chucky which I think is absolutely fantastic and then Semi-newcomer Gabriel Bateman is, of course, our child actor playing the kid at the center of this story. So this is sort of a reboot slash remake of the original 1988 film. It seems like it's following a lot of the similar plot lines, but with some different twists. So that's why I also include the reboot aspect, because it's not directly adapting, but it's kind of revamping this original story. So something that stood out to me in this trailer was the technology aspect of it. I've never seen any of these Child's Play movies But watching this trailer, it made me think, oh, this is kind of like Black Mirror, which is a television show that I really like that talks about, like, the horrors of technology. And this movie looks like Chucky is a Bluetooth-enabled RC toy or something that comes to life and starts killing people, I think because he's evil, because 
technology is evil. And that makes me excited because I really like Black Mirror and I'm like, this just seems like a feature length Black Mirror episode. Yeah, so that's obviously all new and updated for this 2019 release. The original Child's Play movie, Chucky is an evil doll that kills people with gadgets around the house and he turns gases on the stove and stuff like that. And so I think kind of bring it into the modern era where Chucky is not only obviously physically in altercations with people, but he's also like driving these driverless cars as we see in the trailer or turning up the thermostat so somebody holding on to a pipe, it gets hot and they have to let go of it. So he has kind of a more, uh, a broader range of his ability to impact the lives of these people that he's trying to wreak havoc upon. And I think that that is a clever tool used to kind of combat the advances of technology where like, we can just Snapchat, like, live Chucky stabbing somebody or whatever. Um, but now Chucky is Snapchat or whatever, you know? The new writers are trying to cleverly bring Chucky into the modern era and give him kind of more capability. Because also, the original Child's Play movies had to do so much to keep Chucky from just being able to, like, be picked up with your thumb and your forefinger and thrown away. <laughs> They're trying to allow Chucky to have basically more power so he's a little bit more of a believable threat instead of, I can just put this doll 20 feet away from me every time he comes close and it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, something I did notice that you just pointed out is that the kills in the trailer, at least, are pretty creative. Like, he's chasing someone with a lawnmower or something, but then also he goes back and gets the classic slasher knife, which I thought was very interesting. One thing that I'm 100% sold on is Mark Hamill's voice casting. He's a great voice actor, if you didn't know. He's more than just Luke Skywalker. He also plays the Joker on the Batman animated television series. And he is one of the best Joker portrayals that we've seen. Someone else in this film that I'm also excited to see that we didn't get a lot of in the trailer is Brian Tyree Henry. Hopefully you know him from more than just being Paperboy on Atlanta. He's also in Widows. He was the dad in Into the Spider-Verse. I think this is a great actor, and I'm glad to see that he's getting more and more work as his career is starting to kick off. And Aubrey Plaza, I think, is also going to be fantastic. And uh, the mom in Child's Play is a very, very central character to the original plot. And mm. I'm really excited to see what she does with this role. I think that she just kind of looks like somebody that will have a really great range in this sort of... It's horror, but also there's comedic elements because it's a killer doll and it's just weird. And I think Aubrey Plaza's like just a really great choice to kind of balance out that cast and that plot in that within that role. Something I wanted to ask you as a fan of the original Child's Play is, what do you think of the redesign of Chucky? Because when you look at the Chucky in this movie, he does not look like the Chucky in the original. Of course, he has the overalls and the red hair, but his face looks different. What do you think of that as a fan? I don't have a problem necessarily with the redesign. I think they're paying enough homage to the original design while also trying to, like... This is what a toy would look like in 2019. I don't really think a doll that was created for a 1988 universe would really sell in 2019. So they're obviously they're trying to bring him into the modern age again with his appearance. And also he needs to look like a, uh, a toy that's also a computer device, which I don't think the original doll would really give off that vibe. And the other thing is that Chucky's appearance is also known to alter quite frequently throughout the movie as he gets torn up and beat up in different ways uh, throughout you know, his actions. So I'm curious to see if they'll have some cool things of like half his face coming off and it's like all exposed wiring robot type of stuff or what they'll do with that kind of design as well. Mm, very cool. I just didn't know that about Chucky. I thought this was the design and sometimes he gets beat up, but I didn't realize that his design altered throughout the films. I thought it was the same doll throughout. So it's interesting to see that they're continuing that legacy of 
a new design for the new film. Totally. One more fun fact that I, we found out while we were researching for this movie is there's a Chucky TV series that's going to premiere on Sci-Fi Channel in 2020. And the original writer of the 1988 Child's Play, who also became the director of some of the later films in the franchise, is show running for that series. Oh, that's so really cool. It's going to be really interesting to see. It was unclear to me whether the TV series is a continuation of the original Chucky franchise, which its most recent installment was in 2013. So it's not still that, going. Not that far back. So it could just be a continuation of that and a separate line from the new Child's Play reboot series. Or maybe Child's Play 2019 is just trying to launch a moderately successful sci-fi television series. I don't really think that's the case. I think that we're going to have a long cinematic franchise of Chucky reboots and remakes in store for us. I hope so, because I think it'd be really cool to see, especially if this technologically driven Chucky pays off. It'd be cool to see that applied in future movies. But we'll see what we've got in, in our hands with the TV series as well. Speaking of the future of the franchise, I think it all depends on how well this movie does. And one thing I know for sure is that fans of Child's Play are excited, but I don't know if fans of horror are as excited, because modern horror isn't always about the possessed thing has you coming at you and he has a knife. I mean, a little bit with The Conjuring, but that's a little bit of a different thing. Modern horror is more, I guess, avant-garde with films like Hereditary, where it's more psychological. Yeah. So. And Child's Play was in that era of the 80s horror movie where it was like, kind of campy, Chucky gives one-liners, you know. It's also that Nightmare on Elm Street vibe where it's like sinister, but also jokey. And I don't know how well that'll play in 2019. I don't know if they're going to have to recharacterize Chucky to just kind of be sinister, but you're still going to have this kind of weird level of him being being an evil toy so we'll have to see what it can do to kind of bring itself into the modern horror genre where we're at because those art horror films are the ones that are being successful and being raved and talked about not really anything that resembles the successful horror movies of the 80s so as we mentioned previously ryan's not a super huge fan of horror movies i don't think he's seen a single installment in the child's play franchise i mean i saw ready player one and chucky's <laughs> So, does that count? It definitely does not. Dang it. Then so, I haven't seen any of these movies. So, for our first segment on today's show, I thought it might be fun to do a little bit of Chucky trivia with Ryan. And I'm going to ask him some questions on the original franchise, the original movie, and we'll see if Ryan can guess these weird things about Child's Play. Yeah, so Tyler went and like wrote these questions in about 30 minutes while I just kind of sat and watched Vines on my phone. So, I didn't do any research, but Tyler did. All right, Ryan, are you ready to play? I don't think I'll ever be ready, but let's just do this. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you a question, and then you'll have the chance to answer. Following your answer, which will most likely be wrong, I will then read you multiple choice options, and then I think you'll have a better chance at selecting the correct answer. Okay. All right, so here, here we, we go. go. Question one. What is the runtime of the original 1988 movie what? Child's Play? <laughs> I don't know. Um... In minutes or hours and minutes? Minutes. In minutes? Um, 112 minutes. That is actually one of the multiple choice answers that I wrote down. Was it the right one? But it's not correct. Damn it. <laughs> but now you have a 50-50 shot because you guessed somehow one of the three random numbers that I put as multiple choice. It sounded right. So is it either 98 minutes or 87 minutes? 98 minutes. It's only 87 minutes long. Wow. Child's Play 1988 is not even an hour and a half long. So if you're counting along at home, I haven't got a single answer right so far. That's One correct. question in. <laughs> Ryan has not answered the first question, but let's see if he can get question number two. 
Which of these was not a working title for the first Child's Play movie? So that sounds like it's a multiple choice question, but I'm supposed to just give an answer right now. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> so just come up with a movie title that wasn't a title for Child's Play? That's the question, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like I'm going to get it right then. If I just come I up feel with... like you have a really good chance of getting it right, but there are two options that if you just randomly choose, you will get wrong. Okay. Um, but anything else you say will be a correct answer. Is it? Toy Story. That is a correct answer. I did it! However, let's see if you can actually answer from the multiple choice that I have provided. Alright, this one seems like a little bit harder. Now it's harder, yeah. <laughs> yes. Which of these was not a working title for 1988 Child's Play? Is it A, Blood Buddy, B, Batteries Not Included, or C, The Dollhouse Murders? I'm gonna go with um, Batteries Not Included. Is not the working title. That is incorrect. Batteries Not Included was actually the first working title for wow. the project until it was revealed that Spielberg was working on a film that also had that title. Yeah, that's why I said that, because I know about that So movie. then they went to Blood Buddy, and then finally Child's Play, Dollhouse Murders. It's actually the name of a book that served as inspiration to the creators of Child's wow. Play, but was not actually a working title. Well, for at film. least I got half a point there. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question number three. Which of these... Oh, we're going to have to do the same thing again. Well, let's do this it. Is, this jumps straight to multiple choice now. Which of these is not the title of one of the six sequels to Child's Play? I got it. Here is we it go. A? No, no, no. I'm going to answer. <laughs> the answer is Chucky and me. That actually is a sequel. Are you fucking No, sure? no. <laughs> no, it's not a sequel. So, another half point, I guess. Yes, it should, about one whole point. It should be like, not even, it should, it's like an eighth point at this point, so congratulations. I'm sorry you wrote these questions. You have, you have two eighths of a point, which you are now able to reduce to a quarter of a point. I'm saying I have one whole point. Two half points make one. Alright, is it A, Bride of Chucky, B, Return of Chucky, or C, Seed of Chucky? What, what is the question again? Which of these is not the title of one of the six sequels? Um, Return of Chucky. That's correct. There's no Return of Chucky, but Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky. Seed of Chucky just sounded weird enough. <laughs> Seed of Chucky is weird. <laughs> so is Bride of Chucky. Wait, so like... These are around the era where it turns into more of like a campy horror comedy than it is like a so straight horror movie. So is Seed of Chucky about his farming life? Yes. Chucky the farmer. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, question number four. In the original two-hour rough cut shown to screen audiences... Wait, it started at two hours and then it got cut down to less than an hour and a half? What happened? <laughs> Which actress provided the voice for Chucky in Dolph Willem? Here we go. I got this. Meryl Streep. It is not Meryl Streep. Woo! I... Wait. Oh. This is not a not. Never mind. That's also a no for me. <laughs> I still have one point, though. <laughs> now we can move to multiple choice. Was it A, Jessica Walter, B, Linda Blair, or C, Kirstie Alley? Um, Jessica Walter. It was Jessica Walter. Hey. Yeah. I was so surprised to learn that. That sounds cool. And then they were like, nah, she's no good. So we'll, we'll get a dude in there to go do it. What's the girl name of Chucky? I guess girls can be named Chuck, right? Well, the character was still Chucky the doll, but they were just running Jessica Walter's voice through like kind of a digitized process, apparently, mm. to give it more of like a technological feel. Wow. It was the 80s and they didn't understand gender was a social contract. <laughs> Alright, the final question, which I think is the one that Ryan's going to have the hardest time with. I can't believe I still because haven't seen Chucky right Because I don't know that anybody <laughs> that hasn't seen Child's Play would get this question right. This question is simply, why is Chucky evil? Okay, Chucky was possessed by Baphomet, the demon. Okay. 
Was I right? Let me go straight to the multiple choice. Oh, okay. So, but you're not saying I'm wrong. Why is Chucky evil? Was he A, accidentally cursed with a magic spell? B, mm. possessed by an evil ancient spirit? Or C, is he a voodoo reincarnation of a serial killer? So wait, were you saying my answer was wrong, so it's not the possession one? You tell me. Oh my gosh, the game has changed in the final round. Nothing makes sense. But it's obviously the voodoo man. It is the voodoo <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen Child's Play, you should know that Chucky is evil because in the opening scene of the movie, serial killer and fugitive Charles Lee Ray <laughs> is shot to death by a homicide detective while he is hiding in a toy store. And as he is dying, as most serial killers do, having studied the voodoo arts, he uses a spell to transfer his soul from his dying body into... One of the dolls so that wait, is in this toy store. This guy's name is Charles, and the doll's name is Chucky. Is that like a coincidence, or did like the doll say, "Hi, I'm Chucky"? No, the doll is not originally named Chucky. It's just a good guy's doll. And what was the doll's original name? Like Steve? It's Sorry, just yeah. a doll. <laughs> okay. Do you think the same thing is gonna happen in Child's? That's my question. <laughs> Do you think Mark Hamill? Because the person that voiced ended up voicing Chucky is the one that played the human version of the serial killer. Is Mark Hamill going to open the movie and cast a voodoo spell to transfer his dying soul? I don't think into... modern audiences would be okay with that. That would get a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes and no one would care. <laughs> so I think I get like, what, 2.5 points in total. You, you did pretty well. Oh, and a fun trivia fact is the, the serial killer in Child's Play is named Charles Lee Ray, which is each name from a different serial killer. Charles Manson... Lee Harvey Oswald, well not serial killer I guess, but famous killer, Charles Manson, Lee Harvey Oswald who shot JFK, and James Earl Ray who shot Martin Luther King Jr. Well we're not 100% sure who shot JFK, Tyler. Okay, well his name's not Charles Grassino Ray, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for playing, and now you know that Chucky started off being evil due to a Haitian voodoo spell. And part of the movie is also Chucky in doll form going back to visit and take revenge upon uh, his voodoo master from whom he learned the art. Is that in Child's Play 1? That's in Child's Play 1. Wow, I feel like that's a plot of Child's Play 4 or (laughs) 5. Yeah, that was like the way... You would expect in this franchise to not even hit the voodoo theme until like at least installment number 3, but it comes right out of the gate. Wait, wait, wait. Why is he going to get revenge on the man who taught him the spell if this is the spell that saved his life? <laughs> he goes because he's, like, trying to find out, like, uh, I think how to get into back into a human body. And he refuses to help him because he's, like, evil. And so he exacts his revenge. Wow. So what do I get for getting 2.5 out of 5? For getting 2.5 out of 5 right, I will be purchasing Ryan, his very own Chucky doll. Wow, that's expensive. Or is it like a little plush keychain thing? I don't know. I haven't looked this up yet, but I'll... <laughs> is it the Bluetooth I'll Mark Hamill one? I'll give you something Chucky related. Wow. We'll take a picture and we'll put it on our Instagram. Me maybe I'll my just Chucky buy, prize. Maybe I'll just buy you a pair of overalls and then you can dress up as Chucky for Halloween this year. Oh my gosh. So check our Instagram and we'll either post a, an image of Ryan with his new Chucky doll or of Ryan dressed up as Chucky. It'll be one or the other. Who knows? Whatever's more affordable. <laughs> don't say that because I know overalls go for pretty cheap at Walmart. Oh, shoot. But that means you have to go to Walmart. Yikes. <laughs> okay, let's talk about trailer number two. Yeah, going some something really fun to something really not. Anna. 2019. Is coming out in 2019. Uh, it's coming out June 21st, and it's directed by Luc Besson, who is a fairly well-respected and liked director. Uh, he's done films like Leon the Professional, The Fifth Element, Lucy, and the recently beloved Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. I saw it. It's not good. 
<laughs> but people really like The Fifth Element and Leon the Professional. I haven't seen those. I've heard they're good. Yeah, but this movie stars newcomer Sasha Less, um, who is a Russian supermodel who has just been cast in this movie to be a Russian supermodel. Are these true facts? Yeah. Wow, I thought she just looked like a Russian supermodel. <laughs> she does because she is one. Wow, great casting. <laughs> also has Helen Mirren, Luke Evans, and Cillian Murphy. All Russian supermodels. <laughs> so what's the plot of this film, Tyler? What are we getting into? What do you get from the trailer? What I get from the trailer is that this movie looks absolutely devastatingly boring and basic. Mm, painfully average. It is just Russian supermodel Sasha Luss is a model but also a spy or just action hero in some occupation. I think she's like a hitman or something. Yeah, it must be something like that Red Sparrow type thing. I didn't see that one either. I didn't, but <laughs> the trailer was a little bit more explanatory. Okay. And... We're, we get two juxtaposing scenes where she's being interviewed by the police about an incident and, you know, she's crying and like, I have no idea what happened and can't you just check the security cameras? Why are you, like, asking me about this stuff? Meanwhile, we see that she is the one that is killing all these people in a restaurant or something. And then it's a bunch of generic dialogue about, like, you have one more job to do and your she's next target fighting people in a tunnel and in a hotel room. And, I don't know, Luke Evans and Celia Murphy are the two kind of, like, like male. the cops? Yeah. And and they look like they're coming after her. But they also go after each other at some point. Is Sasha the antagonist? I mean, Anna. We think we should call her character name, right? Yeah, I suppose. Is she the bad guy? Maybe. I don't care enough to find <laughs> out. <laughs> I, I do not know. And I quite frankly do not care. It just, it feels like a much less inspired version of Lucy which is a movie that this director already did. So why do At I care? At least Lucy had the interesting element of like, oh, her brain is expanding, so she has like more superpowers because yeah. her brain power is higher. But or there's something. no explanation given in this. She's just trailer a spy. About why. And okay, I know some of you are calling us out on this. Yes, last tra- last episode of this podcast, we did say that we didn't want plot explanation in trailers. We like to have our trailers be spoiler free and just inspire us to see the movie. And so, if you are somebody that just gets excited about generic action sequences, then this trailer might be appealing to you. But you did not have to create this trailer to be so devastatingly boring and average that there's no reason for me to go see this movie because the action sequences and performances don't look exciting enough to get me in the seat, and I have no context for what's the story that's trying to be told, so I have no investment to go see how that story unfolds. Exactly. So it just is kind of dead weight in the middle of... Why do I care? Why is this on screen? And it's a trailer that makes me want to like, why don't we just get through this and get to the movie that I'm trying to watch in the theater? Well, because this is norm- the trailer I look at my Instagram stories for. Yeah, normally I get excited in the movies to watch the trailers before the film. But when a trailer like this comes up, I just am like, it's when I realize that the trailers are, are 15 minutes long. <laughs> and I'm like, can we just get to the movie already? Exactly. And even though there are other spy movies out there, like the Mission Impossible franchise, when they cut a trailer together, they show action sequences, sure, and maybe you're just like, it's just the same thing, action sequences. Those action sequences are more exciting, and they bring in at least plots of the story element. Like, the most recent one, oh, we have to work together with the CIA, and somehow there's a conflict, I'm intrigued. But this movie, you are the spy. I don't know if you're a good spy, like for the good guys or for the bad guys. And there's fighting and there's cops and I don't care. Yeah, and the Mission Impossible franchise 
also built up years of goodwill of like you know these are good movies you know these are fun movies you know who these characters are people might even be invested in Ethan Hunt the characters uh, that are being portrayed and the organizations that are the depicted. IMF yes I love the Mission Impossible franchise but this movie does not benefit from that Anna is just the most boring generic trailer with a boring generic name that I couldn't even be bothered to remember before we started oh, planning you mean for this podcast. Anna 2019. Yes, Anna 2019. So you might be asking, hey, if you didn't like this trailer and you think it's so boring, why are you even talking about it? Well, sometimes trailers suck, and we're not a podcast that only talks about the trailers we like. We are equal opportunity podcasters. We will talk about good trailers, bad trailers, in the middle trailers, trailers for movies we're excited for, trailers for movies we've never heard of until we've seen the trailer. We just talk about trailers. Speaking of trailers, I think it's time to move on to the trailers I brought to the table, unless you have more to say about 2019's Anna. All I have to say is this might be the first movie that we've covered so far on this podcast that I don't go see just because I really, really don't care. Wow, it took all of two episodes to get to a movie Tyler doesn't want to see. <laughs> Very exciting. So now on to a movie that I want to see. This trailer is Spider-Man Far From Home. The movie comes out on July 2nd, directed by John Watts, starring Tom Holland, Sam Jackson, Zendaya, Kobe Smulders, John Favreau, and Jake Gyllenhaal. This is the next movie in the Marvel Cinematic Movie Universe following Avengers Endgame. It follows... Oh, by the way, the trailer's very spoilery, so we're going to be very spoilery. Yeah, Not for you... the movie Spider-Man Far From Home, but for the film Avengers Endgame. If you haven't seen it by now, what are you doing? Yeah, what's wrong with you? Okay, back to Spider-Man. So Spider-Man is distraught because Tony Stark has died. I told you there were spoilers. He sees Tony everywhere, he says... And he feels like he needs to live up to the status of being the next Iron Man. Then it's time for him to go on summer vacation with his class. A classic trope of the 80s, the Euro trip. But we find out there are giant elemental monsters attacking and Nick Fury needs Spider-Man's help. Because a mysterious man named Mysterio, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, has come from what he says is an alternate dimension to fight these elemental monsters. And this is all because of some mumbo-jumbo having to do with the snap. Now, I'm a longtime Spider-Man fan. Spider-Man is my favorite superhero. So, right off the bat, I'm excited. Mysterio looks great. His costume looks amazing. I love all the outfits, like all the different costumes Spider-Man has. And I'm really intrigued to see where this movie goes in the MCU. Tyler, what did you think of this trailer? Yeah, this trailer also got me really excited as soon as the new uh, spoilery trailer was released, not just the teaser trailer. Um, you and I made plans to buy tickets to opening night for this movie right away because we're just both so excited to see uh, how this film follows Endgame. I think it's got a little bit of a tricky job to do to balance this lighthearted and fun Spider-Man vibe um, that is so common in the Spider-Man movies and will especially be present because they're going on European vacation, hey. but also to follow the heavy weight of Peter Parker losing his father figure and Tony Stark in Avengers Endgame and all the repercussions that come with multiple events in Endgame, but specifically the death of that relationship. Exactly. And something that is exciting as a Spider-Man fan, something we didn't get in Spider-Man Homecoming, is how Peter deals with the loss of his parental type figure. Usually in a Spider-Man origin movie, we get the death of his Uncle Ben and why that drives him to be Spider-Man. We didn't have that in Homecoming, but we might get to explore something like that with the death of Tony Stark, how that affects him, and how he moves forward. And something that both Homecoming and Far From Home, I think, based on the trailer, are going to do is, like, don't try to be like these other heroes spider-man try to be like spider-man because spider-man in this trailer looks like he's trying to be the next iron man that's a line in the trailer and spider-man in homecoming is looking up and wanting to be an avenger 
But I think throughout the arc of these films, he's trying to learn that he doesn't have to be like those other heroes. He just has to be Spider-Man. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is closing out phase three of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And obviously, I think we'll transition a little bit into what's planned for phase four, at least as far as character development goes. And I think we will see Spider-Man learn to be the best Spider-Man he can be. But also, I think a little bit, he will try and take up that mantle. And he can be the next Iron Man without trying to be like Iron Man. And he can try and become an Avenger because of how Tony Stark has inspired him. But do it the way that he wants to do it and the way that he knows how to do it. Exactly. And Spider-Man will be the face of the Avenger franchise going forward. He is the big star. Of course, he's going to be the next Iron Man as in leader of the Avengers. What I was saying is he needs to find his own footing like you were saying. Mm -hmm. Another thing in this trailer that I'm excited for is Mysterio, a Spider-Man villain we haven't seen yet. Adapted it on screen. Yeah, exactly. Jake Gyllenhaal once tried to be Spider-Man, if you didn't know this. This is exciting news. He's finally gotten to be a Spider-Man movie, and he is going to be Mysterio. Mysterio is a stuntman in the comics, or he's like a visual effects artist, and he's a big liar. So when he says, I came from a different dimension, and I'm here to stop these elementals, I have taken with 30,000 grains of salt, because I don't trust a word out of this guy's mouth. I honestly think that he might somehow be creating these monsters to try to make it look like he can defeat them, so he can get that hero status yeah so it's interesting because mysterio traditionally is a villain in the comics and is now being portrayed as sort of like a team-up partner in the trailer but they don't really commit to it he still is given this mysterious sort of aspect to him so i do think that we have further character development further growth as to who mysterio is that's going to be laid out throughout the movie and watching mysterio on screen it just reminds me that we could have had mysterio on screen years ago Spider-Man 4, Bruce Campbell was supposed to be Mysterio. Oh, that would have been so good. It would have been so cool. All his cameos in the other films were supposed to culminate in him being the same person. And now realizing that I have wanted to see Mysterio on screen for so long, he's one of the coolest Spider-Man villains out there. And I love that they didn't back down from making Mysterio look like he does in the comics. He's got that awesome, cool fishbowl on his head. And they could have just tried to make him a little bit more contemporary. Like X-Men 2000 (laughs) in black leather suits. Whatever, you know, they could have done whatever they want with his style to make him fit into you know the more modern spider-man universe but they just went for it and they created a mysterio that is an awesome comic book adaptation of his style and it makes me super excited to see that we have that kind of character coming to the screen because spider-man villains i think are some of the most iconic some of the most well-known some of the most beloved within comic book history and so i think it's really cool that we're getting an adaptation that seems like it's trying to respectfully adapt that to the screen So, speaking of costume design, Spider-Man has a couple new suits in this movie. Oh, yeah. He starts off with his uh, Iron Spider suit from Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, but then he quickly transitions out of that, and I'm happy for that because even though I like the Iron Spider suit, I feel like that's more of a big event suit. That's not a suit that he needs on the day-to-day. So, I'm glad to see him back in the normal Spider-Man suit from Homecoming, his Homecoming suit. But then there's also a new suit, a stealth suit, which I think might have been given to him by Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. agents or something to have him do more reconnaissance missions, which I think is very cool. Although I do miss the color in his costume, but I understand that this has to be a practical Spider-Man suit. But I'm still excited to see all the different variations of his costume in this movie. Yeah, and I love that uh, closing shot of the trailer where he is running up the wall in the stealth suit and does that backflip off of it over this awesome explosion. It totally gives me a vibe that of something we would see in an animated adaptation of Spider-Man, like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which came out last year. And like seeing that kind of Spider-Man performance on screen within the MCU, I think is just doing a great job at bringing this character to life because that's a Spider-Man we know and love. I mean, I just like watching Spider-Man do flips. That's really fun. <laughs> 
So something else that this trailer touches on is MJ figures out Peter's secret identity. And it feels like in the MCU, no one has a secret identity. And I feel like that's kind of bleeding into Spider-Man a bit. His Aunt May knows who he is. His best friend knows who he is. And now his girlfriend knows who he is. There's no one that he's keeping his identity a secret from except for basically the public. And I think that's a very interesting and different route that we haven't really seen in Spider-Man films before. Yeah, part of Spider-Man's sort of lore up to this point on screen has been he's struggling because Spider-Man is so beloved by the public and yet Peter Parker is kind of this nobody and he feels like he needs to keep it hidden from everybody around him because it would put them in danger. And I think with Spider-Man Far From Home, we're going to see how Peter deals with being able to be Spider-Man and be Peter Parker at the same time. I'm just really excited to see Spider-Man Far From Home when it hits theaters July 2nd. All right, Ryan, let's move to our final film of this episode. Tell me about Once Upon a Time, dot, 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 in Hollywood. Ooh, so Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the ninth film from writer-director Quentin Tarantino, who's made such films such as Inglorious Bastards, Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2, Pulp Fiction, Django Unchained, and so on and so forth. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Kurt Russell, Timothy Oliphant, Dakota Fanning, Luke Perry, Al Pacino, and more. So this film is set in 1969. I think the main character of this film will be Leonardo DiCaprio, at least that's the way the trailers make it look. He's an action movie star and Brad Pitt is his stunt double. Leonardo DiCaprio is kind of sad because he's becoming a has-been, a washed-out old movie star. And then it looks like Brad Pitt is having this side adventure where he somehow gets involved with Charles Manson. (laughs) So that's a thing that happens in this movie. This movie just looks really stylistically of 1969 and the early 70s. And it really teleports you to that time, at least since I've never been to the 1969s or the 70s. This is what I imagine it's like. Yeah, I think this is Quentin Tarantino's kind of love letter to that time period and that era of filmmaking specifically. Because he's like, Bruce Lee is going to be a character in this movie. And he's able to incorporate kind of the iconic places and people of this time. Because I think Tarantino kind of has a heart for those people and places and i think he's trying to incorporate those into a pretty brutal story i can imagine because sharon tate who is viciously murdered by charles Manson and his followers historically is a character in this movie so i think tarantino is trying to bring his gory violent perspective to these historical events well something i'm interested in is the last two films he did were or before the hateful eight was Django and chain and glorious bastards which are both kind of revisionist history pieces where in Glorious Bastards, Hitler is killed. And in Django Unchained, Django is able to free the slaves and violently murder the slave owners. So I believe maybe this is another vein of his revisionist revenge movies, where maybe Sharon Tate gets a chance to stand up for herself and fight back against Charles Manson. Who knows what's actually going to happen in this movie, because we know we're not bound to the actual historical facts. That's true. I actually have never thought about this perhaps being revisionist history from Quentin Tarantino on this time period. I thought this would kind of be his first effort at making what is kind of a biopic. Quentin Tarantino has said that he hates the biopic genre, but what is Tarantino's version of a depiction of real historical events. But this very well could veer in the other direction and become the Tarantino-fied adaptation of these events. I think that's what's going to happen because I don't see him really doing a this is what I think happened and what I read in history books and I'm just going to show you on screen. I think this is going to be his way of saying this is what I think will make a good movie. This is what I think will be a good story to show. This is what I think people want to see. This is maybe something cathartic for people that are 
identifying with the Sharon Tate of the story, saying, I can fight back against the oppressors, which he has done in Django and in Glorious Bastards. Yeah, that's a really good point. And he is introducing brand new characters that don't exist historically, Leonardo DiCaprio's actor character and Brad Pitt, his stunt double. So maybe those two characters will participate and impact the story in a way that makes it proceed differently than it did historically. Exactly. And another interesting thing about this film is that it had a huge runtime and Quentin Tarantino's been cutting a lot of things like earlier you told me that certain actors are just cut out of this film like tim roth and michael madsen which when i heard they were cast in this film i was excited because i really liked reservoir dogs and i wanted to see tarantino direct them again but maybe we'll get an extended cut on netflix one day i think it's very likely that we'll get an extended cut of this movie at some point but i think tarantino as he often has to do is cutting down sort of the extra you know how long do dialogue scenes last in Tarantino movies? And there's a lot of fat that he can trim from these movies to give them a little bit more of a concise, clear narrative without obviously impending and hurting the Tarantino style that we know him Yes. And I'm also excited to see the cast members that actually made it into the movie because when they work with Tarantino, it's been great. We've seen Leonardo DiCaprio do it. We've seen Brad Pitt do it before. We've seen Kurt Russell do it before. It's just exciting to see these actors back with the director that we know can get great performances out of them. Totally. And I'm actually really excited for Dakota Fanning, too, who is was a very promising young actress that I haven't really seen in a lot of things mm. lately. Last thing I and saw I her think... in was um, Twilight. Yeah. I think bringing her into this type of movie to play what I can only assume is a Manson follower, uh, will be really interesting to see how this challenges her acting capability. Yeah. Also, this might be the last film appearance of Luke Perry, so it's very exciting to see what Tarantino... Because he's great at taking up old actors and bringing them back into the limelight. He did it with John Travolta, and it's very exciting to see what performance you can get out of this old TV star Luke Perry. Yeah, so I'm excited for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The first the sort of teaser? teaser trailer was very la, la, not la, la, clear, la, la, and I had la, la. no idea what was going to happen in this movie. But upon seeing the full trailer, I'm excited. I had no idea that Brad Pitt was going to get involved in the Manson family, so that's weird. And I'm excited to see what goes on with that. Also, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is living next door to Sharon Tate in the home where she historically was attacked and killed. So it'll be interesting to see how that's going to proceed in the events of the film. And I I don't want to speculate too much because, like we discussed with We Don't Know Where Tarantino is going to go with this story, I think that's when Tarantino wants. He never wants you going into a movie to be having an idea of where it's going to go. So I'm just really excited to kind of have the first viewing full impact and see what Tarantino does with this film and with these characters. Yeah, that's very interesting that Tarantino doesn't want you to know how the film's going to go out when he's playing with history. Yeah. Because you obviously know you can go research what happened with the Manson family murders and Sharon Tate and know what actually happened. But because this is Tarantino's twist on it, you're left guessing. So a big thing in this film was, took up the whole screen, the ninth film from director Quentin Tarantino. And Quentin Tarantino has really become a marketing, like, appeal of his own. What do you think about that versus the Luc Besson movie, Anna, doesn't say from director Luc Besson, it says from the creators of Lucy. How do you think a Tarantino versus a Besson, or even, like, movies like Child's Play 2019 or Spider-Man Far From Home do not even mention their directors, how do you think a director comes into play when it comes to marketing? Yeah, I think Tarantino has been kind of his own marketing strategy for a while. His first two movies, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, were 
almost instantly beloved, instantly critically acclaimed. And from then on, he's just kind of been like Tarantino, Tarantino, Tarantino at the forefront of everything that he's put out. And especially because he's had this whole publicity thing about I'm only going to make 10 films in my lifetime. And, and this is number this nine. This is number nine. So it kind of gives us this like anticipation and this edge to it. And I think the reason that this works with Tarantino is because he has such a unique style and people see his movies or other movies that are reminiscent of his style and think it's Tarantino-esque and in film school there's now the Tarantino effect and Tarantino style dialogue or violence or whatever you might you know whatever you might think of that you would attribute to a Tarantino style of filmmaking people are actually using his name to attribute to those things even though he didn't by any means invent them. No, he's very much a person who takes what he's seen in the past and things that he likes, and he pays homage to that in his, especially his early films, and then he's kind of come into his own style towards the later end of his career. And so I think then, compared to like relatively unknown directors like John Watts, who before Spider-Man Far From Home did Spider-Man Homecoming, and then a couple other smaller movies, and that's it. And Lars Klevberg, who is directing Child's Play 2019, who, this is his first movie being released in the U.S., they don't have that style or that name recognition to be able to use in any sort of like marketing for their movie. But I also think incorporating the director into the marketing strategy kind of gives us a what to expect. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really know how Lars Klebberg's directorial style is going to impact Child's Play. I don't really know how John Watts' directorial style is going to impact Spider-Man Far From Home. But when I see Quentin Tarantino is doing a movie like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we instantly go to, is it going to be revisionist history? What's the, what are the violent scenes going to look like? What's the dialogue going to be like? Because those are all things that we attribute to his style of directing. Exactly. And especially when these directors like John Watts or Lars Klebberg are coming to franchise films such as Child's Play and Spider-Man, we don't know how much is their style going to show through that when this is a film that is made by a studio that is made to make money, that is made to appease the fans of the original films or the films that came before it that is made to fit into the mold of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So we don't know how much their style can shine through those since we've never seen anything from them that isn't those things. Yeah, a big thing that helped Quentin Tarantino's style be seen through his movies that he was making was the amount of creative control he had over the project when he's directing, writing, and producing these movies versus these other franchise installments where the directors hired on it's two other completely different writers. It's a whole other, you know, board producing the movie. You have less creative control and you have less input into the, the final product of the movie. And so it's a little bit harder to have those stylistic elements stand out. And so it's a little bit harder, I think, to make a name for yourself out of doing these franchise made by committee movies because you don't have the ability to, to let your style shine. Exactly. Someone who I think was able to let their style shine, though, in a big franchise film was Ryan Johnson in The Last Jedi. He wrote that movie and directed it. So I think having yourself be the writer and director really helps the shine of your artistic vision come to fruition. Whether I think that be Christopher Nolan in the Dark Knight trilogy is also another example. Of like an auteur director coming and bringing his style into a franchise film? Yeah, because... It, they were unlike any other Batman movie that had previously been brought to screen. And it was very clear that it was Nolan's adaptation take on that character and that world. Mm -hmm. That goes with The Last Jedi as well. This is definitely Ryan Johnson's take on a Star Wars film. And a lot of people loved that and a lot of people didn't love that because he was doing what he wanted to do, not because he was doing what Lucasfilm told him to do. 
So winding things down a little bit here, Tyler, what do you think your favorite trailer that you watched this week was out of the four we've discussed? I think my favorite trailer from this episode is Anna. What? No, I'm totally kidding. It's definitely Spider-Man Far From Home. That that trailer is cut so well. Uh, it does a great job at showing the fun aspects of the movie and also the, the more sincere, heartfelt elements of the movie. And it just gets me so excited to see some more Spider-Man action. And would you say that's also the movie you're most excited to see out of the four? It's hard because I am excited to see every movie we talked about on this episode except for Anna. I would say I am most excited to see Spider-Man Far From Home, but very close second is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because I'm pretty invested in the career of Quentin Tarantino, and I'm excited to see his adaptation of this story on screen. Cool. I agree with everything you just said. So <laughs> Spider-Man Far From Home, you're today's big winner. Woohoo! Woo! Four out of four, a perfect score. Never been done before. Well done, Spider-Man. Wow. This is in no way impacted by the fact that Ryan and I are huge Marvel fans. No, I... This is completely objective. Yeah, totally. Anna had a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us this week, everybody. This has been Preview Review Episode 2. You can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Preview Review. R-E-V-U-E, by the way. <laughs> yeah, R-E-V-U-E. We would love to ha have you give us a follow. Uh, you can stay updated on episodes that we have coming out. You can check out our Instagram pic when we post it, whether Ryan gets his own oh, Chucky right. doll or gets My dressed up as Chucky. <laughs> yeah. I forgot. And uh, just another quick note for everybody. We know that you're probably listening to this on Podbean, our host site right now. Woo. Thank you so much for coming over to our own webpage to, to listen to this podcast. I promise you we are working on getting published on other streaming services too. So be on the lookout for that. We'll try and go mainstream. If you're listening to this in the future on one of those streaming services. Disregard everything he just said. We did it. We made it. And we're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever you're listening to us on. And that's super awesome. And thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate all 46 of our listeners. Ooh, the and real heroes. by this time, when this episode comes out, Number our 47, 47. Thank you so much. You're the true MVP. Thanks, Podbean for letting us do this for free. <laughs> All right, we'll be with you next week for another episode. I've been Tyler Ellison. And I'm always Ryan Toon. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. -bye. Bye.